problem of pain. We talked a lot about this. In week one, we spoke about how God is still sovereign, that in the midst of pain and all of that, that the foundational truth that we must come back to is that God is still sovereign. Amen. If you challenge that truth, if you push away that truth, then we don't worship God. That there is no God. We make ourselves God when we push away God's sovereignty. That's a really key, important thing for us to realize. But in the midst of God's sovereignty, He has promised that He is going to work all things for the good of those who love Him and are called yes. according to His purposes, right? Yes. And so for us as Christians, we have this massive hope that we can have um, in the midst of pain and suffering. And then last week, we spoke about uh, what pain does. Um, what pain does is that it... It sometimes makes us question uh, the beliefs that we have. And it leads us into a place of unbelief. It doesn't so much give us other choices as much as it makes us focus in on the belief that God is sovereign, for example. And it just rips it apart little by little and say, really? God is good. Really? Not for me. God is sovereign. Well, if He is, then, you know, He's not, he's not very nice. Uh, he, God is caring. No, He's not. And, and, you know, that's what pain seems to do. Yeah. And what we need to do is to come back and to remember what these beliefs are rooted in. And, and a real problem that I notice is that people... Who want to hold on to a sovereign God? Because they realize that without a sovereign God, what do we have? We actually don't have much. We have lame humanity. Which, you know, if we keep using that, you know, that phrase of, oh, I'm only human. Then you realize that humanity makes crappy gods. It really does. Hitler, thank you, Jesus, for giving us a perfect example of humanity's state. Obviously, we're not all Hitler. Um, uh, but, you know, I know that I don't want to be, You don't want me to be God. You don't, I might be a great pastor, but I make a terrible God. Some of you are nice people. But if you're God, oh my Lord. What, oh, it's like, why even live? So if there must be a sovereign God, then we have to wrestle with that unbelief. Of how God is going to work with me. And too many people do this. God is good for them. God is good in that person's life. And I realize this. Sometimes when someone is sharing about how God's done something so good in their life. Some others, sometimes myself included, go like, Yeah, there we go. God's favorites. <laughs> Pastor Ben Here we go again With all the blessing And it's kind of like God keeps showing back favour But what about me? That's unbelief That's a problem there that we need to deal with And so we spoke about that last week About coming to God, facing God Wrestling I, I, I read this devotional this week um, that, start, uh, that talked about Doubting Thomas again, our, our good friend And spoke about how The one thing that he was so encouraged By Thomas's example uh, Is that he continued To wrestle He was like, I don't believe in God I don't want to tr- I, don't, I don't want to have to trust in this Messiah But he was still In the room He continued to wrestle And in the midst of that wrestle He this revelation at last because he was in the room 
And that's what we need to do in the midst of pain. What room are you sitting in? Some of us are sitting in straitjacket rooms just hoping that we don't kill ourselves. Like, get out of it, man. No one's put you in there. There's no lock to that room. There's no lock to the rooms that God can't go into. Locks don't work with God. But God only responds to people who are going to be open to Him. Because even though God can walk through doors... He stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. You don't walk into our doubting hearts. He walks into our hearts when we open up. I don't want to make too much of a deal of that, but I hope that you catch what I'm I'm trying to say. And this series isn't about explaining all the different nuances about pain and suffering and why this happens and why that happens. That's not what this is about. But this series is about coming back to that place of understanding how to wrestle with pain. I read this quote in researching this, that the ancient church wasn't so consumed with trying to find happiness in the midst of pain, but trying to find out how we're meant to live in the midst of pain. The understanding of happiness and and peace and goodness is often caught up in in, in very Greekish mindsets that that the Bible doesn't subscribe to. We're not here to be happy, guys. But we are here to learn what God is saying in the midst of any and every situation. And some of you are here in a great celebration season. You know, God on you. Praise God in it. That's a wonderful place to be in. But let me tell you, we don't live in the land of mountains. We live in the land of mountains and valleys. And so there will be times where you need to learn what to do when you're in that season. And I want to wrestle with one final thing uh, for this series. And uh, one of the things that uh, is really interesting about being a pastor and, 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 and speaking a lot is that God often takes me through these lessons so that I can teach well. And, uh, and so I'm kind of like, uh, uh, in a way, because I noticed like there was a season when we were at our previous church as pastors there, and Pastor Joel felt like that year was going to be called, uh, what was it called again, Vic? Um, like wholeness. Yeah, something like that. Pursuing, yeah. pursuing wholeness. Pursuing wholeness. Yeah. And that year was full of crappy stuff. <laughs> so you would think that you name a season pursuing wholeness, everyone's going to be like, <laughs> we're all floating on our clouds with our little hubs. Did not happen. It was like a year of trudging through mud. Yeah. It was like, oh man, you, you now, why are you so broken? And it was like crappy. And this series, I was like, ah, you know, talk about pain. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, God brought pain into my life this week. And it's like, okay. And so after Father's Day, we're going to do a series called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? (laughs) (laughs) And God better do what he's doing now. Buying lottery ticket on 5th of September so I can preach that series. Let's pray. But it's been, it, I'm not speaking from a place of like, I've, I've worked it out and I know how this all plays out. I'm speaking from a place of searching and putting into action the very things that I'm trying to communicate to you. And, and I hope that that comes through, not because I had, can give you answers, but because I can give you tools. Yeah. Not because I can give you solutions, but because I can show you that 
you know, pain has a way of, of causing us to look at our world in a certain way. But if we continue to look through the eyes of pain, we will miss out what God is doing in the midst of pain. And that's what we need to be careful apart, uh, about. And, and, and this week, what was brought into my focus is how pain um, makes us feel weak. Pain hits us in our security. That's what pain does. How many of you ever go home and wonder whether you are safe in your home? Probably a few of us at this point in time. You go home and, and you don't check every hinge and every lock and every window and every crack. If you do, you might have a bit of a problem if you're constantly doing that. Any OCD people? It's like, we'll pray for you. But we don't do that, right? However, if your house gets broken into, what do you do? The next few days, you think that every sound is an intruder into your house. The, 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 the leaves that are falling onto your gutter is like a terrorist about to blow himself up on your roof. You know, the bird that is outside the window is like the siren of... You know, alarms gone. We check everything when our security has been hit. When we encounter a painful season where there's difficulty in our face, what we do next is that we think that we are weak and we need to check on our securities. What we've done to defend ourselves. And that is the point of pain. The point of pain is to show us where in our lives we are not protected. And when we hit emotional pain, what it does is that it causes us to question, why have the defenses around my heart, around my soul, been penetrated? And we start to question it. And so it starts to question our beliefs, and that's what we talked about last week. It questions our behaviors, because obviously we haven't behaved in a way that protected us from pain. And, and, and so we will look into that and we'll examine that and we will change in order to strengthen our defenses. That's what we tend to do. And so um, uh, they often come in the form of questions. What does this mean for my life? I've encountered this situation. What does this mean? What does this mean about me? What does this mean about what I'm going to have to do to go on? What are the areas of weakness that I need to hide? Because that's what we want our security, our defenses for, right? We don't need to secure and defend ourselves if we feel really strong. If you have got like a, the ability to defend yourself, you don't feel insecure. But pain shows us where there are breaks in our defenses. And therefore, pain makes us feel weak. And so, this is what I learned about pain. That when we encounter those seasons, one of the things that we do as Christians is that we wrestle with the goodness, with the presence, with the love of God... In our lives in that moment. Because we know that God is supposed to be our strong tower. 
And so the fact that I've got hurt, what does this mean about this strong town? What does it mean about whether God is able to protect me or not? That's the question that pain asks when we've been hit. My defenses are down. Shields down, shields down. Sorry, what Star Wars last night? <laughs> and, um, and then I realized that what we sometimes then do is that we say to ourselves when we question that, some of us then go into a place of like, no, 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 God's still good. So I'm going to declare God's goodness and I'm going to get back to that place where I believe in God's goodness. And, um, and, and that's what we try to do. But what is that supposed to look like and what does it actually mean? See, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read a story about uh, David and his men, right? They had gone off to a battle, and while they were gone from this battle, some raiders came and took all their wives and kids and, and, and looted their camp, and then, and then ran off. And so when David and his men came back home and realized that this was happening, I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, which totally makes sense, right? You led us into this battle and this is what I've lost. But David strengthened himself in the Lord as God. And we go like, wow! We get to do this. I strengthen myself in the Lord, my God. Does this kind of bring that picture of Popeye eating a little can of spinach and a boom, boom, I've strengthened myself in the Lord. We don't have too many millennials, so people all know Popeye, right? What's another one? Who does another thing? The Hulk. But that's anger, though. It's a little bit of like, a, I got angry and I got big. I don't know what people think that they do. It's kind of dumb. Well, you know, you, you, what does it mean to be strengthened in the Lord? When we are faced with difficulties and pain and we feel weak, what does it mean to be strengthened in the Lord? How do you know you've been strengthened in the Lord? Does it mean that I literally feel strong and impenetrable and invulnerable once again? Does it make me feel like I'm Superman and able to take on the world? Does it mean that all the fears and the doubts and the questions that I have are gone? Does it mean that I have this deep security in who I am because I am now strengthened by the Lord? And we kind of think that we go around saying Shazam... And become a superhero. Does this, is this what this means? Because this week when I felt pain, I didn't feel strong. And when I worshipped and I came to God, I was in touch with a very sore, a very small, or what felt like a really small part of myself. I did not feel stronger in the Lord. I felt smaller. I did not feel stronger in the Lord. I was in touch with this hopelessness and this powerlessness that I was faced with in this situation. I did not feel as though like taking this on was going to be any easier. If anything, it kind of helped me to realize that facing tomorrow is going to be really difficult. So did I strengthen myself in the Lord? Am I supposed to come to church on a Sunday and walk away feeling like I've just recharged the Lord and I'm all ready to take on the world? What is supposed to happen when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? And that's what I want to talk about because I think so many of us think that God is not there for me because I'm still feeling 
that hopelessness. I'm still feeling that smallness. I'm still feeling that insecurity. I'm still feeling like I need to protect myself more. I'm still feeling my inadequacies. So how are we supposed to strengthen ourselves in the Lord when it doesn't seem to be working? And I want to talk to you uh, through Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians. See, Paul wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians. Um, it was actually probably at least the third letter to this church in Corinth. And he wrote this, interestingly, right after he nearly faced death. There was this crazy situation and God uh, miraculously rescued him. And he wrote this letter for two purposes. One was to collect up uh, or to prepare the church to collect up an offering for uh, um, uh, those who are really suffering in Jerusalem because of the persecution. Uh, but the other thing was actually to defend his apostleship, which is kind of interesting. Uh, that Paul, the apostle, we kind of read Paul's words and we go like, oh my gosh, I want to meet this. I, I want to meet this guy. Some of you guys are like, oh, like, oh. I'm a sacred file. That's how I found his little words. I'm attracted to intelligence. That's what it means. Sorry, that was an inside joke. Inside joke. <laughs> It is a bit out of context. You can ask me about the context later, and then I'll point you to Lil. But I, I love Paul's thinking, and, 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 and to me it's bizarre that anyone who actually were part of a church that he planted could question this guy's apostleship. It's crazy, right? It's like meeting... Um, who, who's, who's a hero of everyone? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like meeting Jesus and going, oh, he's not that impressive. <laughs> Which some people do. So yeah, I guess it's a good example. But Paul writes this letter to defend his apostleship. And I want you to hear what he says. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 29. Uh, it's, it's, it's tiny words, you probably can't see, but I just want you to catch the um, reference. And I want to read it to you. It says, are they servants of Christ? Paul's talking about other people uh, that the church in Corinth thought were, were really great, amazing people, uh, saw that they were servants of God, and, and, but at the same time, they were leading them away from what Paul was teaching. And so Paul writes, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. And he said this because Paul was wrestling with having to defend himself. And uh, it's kind of it's really interesting. You read this and it's like, rah, 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 and it's like, it has this wrestle inside of him. So, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. <laughs> with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Remember, he wrote this after nearly dying. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one, which means that they, if you give 40 lashes, you are less than a human being. And so he said, you are human, but you are a really broken one. That's what they were saying about this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers. Funny thing, how rivers attack you sometimes. <laughs> danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me, on my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. This is a man who followed Christ. So don't tell me that following Christ is easy. Don't tell me that it's not in the Word of God. Oh, I'm suffering. God must not be here. Who are the greatest, most obedient followers of Christ? 
Like, how many times did those rivers attack him? I haven't been shipwrecked more than once. I haven't been shipwrecked. He has three. He received basically capital punishment on at least four occasions. Somehow escaped. Suffering is not the antithesis, anti-antithesis. It's not the opposite of being with Christ. And so that's one of the things that pain tells us that in the middle of your pain, God's not here. Because he's meant to be a strong tower. Well, Paul had Jesus as his strong tower and he went through a lot of stuff. So that's one thing that I want you to catch. And he's trying to say, right, this is part of his argument. You want to know how I followed Christ? See how much I've suffered. How many Christians dare to say that? How many Christians actually say that? Especially in Western culture. What do we do to convince someone that we're following Christ? Oh, see, people gave me money. I'm a follower of Christ. I've been blessed with health. Because Jesus loves me so much. We talk about the good things that God gives us as though the good things demonstrates that God is good. What about the fact that Christ died for your sin? Isn't that enough goodness for you? Yes. Yeah. Isn't that the whole idea that we latch onto why we have Christ with us? Yeah. But if we are to follow Christ, the Bible is pretty clear that pain and suffering will be a part of our lives. Mm. Now all of you can leave and go if you don't want that. Because <laughs> I'm being serious about this. Sometimes I think that we think that our face a hardship. God's not good anymore. Mm. Well, that doesn't resurrect Christ, does it? He already died for your sin. God's already demonstrated His goodness. Mm. Mm. And then He calls us to obey Him, mm. even to the point of death. Yeah. We don't recognize that because we are in Australia. Mm. There are people literally around the world that are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And here we go, oh, a painful week for me. And it's like, yes, it is. But why do we doubt God's goodness when they're suffering? Instead, what are we supposed to do about that? So Paul goes on, and this is what I really want to focus on. He goes on in the very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10. And he says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And this is a really funny, I find it so funny. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. Who is this man? Why is he talking about this? He's talking about himself, guys. But when he's talking about something amazing that he received from God, he actually distances himself. So next time you have a blessing from God, I know a person who was blessed with health. Not me. I know a person. I have a friend. I know someone. But he's having this wrestle with boasting and talking about what God has done. It's really interesting. Verse 3. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. 
on behalf of this man, which is himself, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except for my weakness. I just want to pause here. What Paul is saying in this passage is that when he was preparing or, or sometime in the early part of his ministry, he received this crazy revelation. And by the way, this is affirmed by the early church. Peter, who is known quite you know, famously as the leader of the church, writes that Paul writes scripture. That means that he affirms that Paul received a crazy revelation from God. When people go around today saying, I have been brought up to heaven and I got all these crazy revelations, probably not true. That time is done enough. Not saying that people can't receive revelation, but the revelation that Paul was basing his ministry on is a little bit different. All right. I just want to give you a bit of context there. We're going to read on in verse six. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth. He's basically saying, guys, you don't know what God has given me. (laughs) It is that good. And you guys are questioning whether God works in my life. You guys are idiots. (laughs) That's basically what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or he hears from me. And that's really weird. Because I think as I'm thinking about how we convince people in today's day and age, we try to convince them from a point of view of I'm I'm an expert. I know stuff. I'm actually... You know, up here. You know, I went to a study for my master's because I wanted to have a platform to speak with smart people. Well, Paul takes the opposite approach. He doesn't say, I need to be an expert. He says, I just need you to see who I am so that you can see what Christ has done in me. I love that and that challenges me all at the same time. We have this vision in our Western culture that people that are worth listening to are people that are successful and do not experience pain because they build up their defenses to the point where nothing can penetrate them. Is that really what success is? I can work to the bone and still turn up to work tomorrow. Is that really what success is all about? For Paul, it's like the whole idea of success is that God has chosen me. God is working in me, and that is sufficient. That's still not the point I'm trying to make. Let's get there. So verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Sorry, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We need to pull this apart. He says that because of the great things that God had placed on him, God also made sure that he was given a gift, a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. Now, people have wrestled about this, whether it was a physical ailment, whether it was an emotional ailment, whatever it was, how Paul described it is that it was painful. It was a thorn in the flesh. And then on top of that, uh, and by the way, thorn in the flesh uh, brings 
to mind uh, the crown of thorns that Jesus had. And they, they weren't supposed to just be like a little rose, rose bush kind of a thorn. They, they were like crazy thorns. We were watching Bear grills running wild the other day. And, and in, a, in the desert area, there were these uh, uh, black palm trees. And you saw those, those, those spikes, those thorns. They are serious. And Bear Grylls actually backed into one and he was like, ah! he was like Bear Grylls was in pain because of this. Can you imagine a constant thorn in the flesh wherever... Yeah, he got a thorn in his flesh. But it's also called a messenger of Satan. Now, the, the translation of Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He was being accused. There was this messenger that constantly was coming up. It probably was attacking his sense of security and, and sense of self-worth. There was something that was painful that caused him to constantly doubt who he was. And Paul says, this gift was given to me to keep me from becoming conceited. When I think of the word conceited, I think of the word proud. I think of the word arrogant. And when I read this as a younger person, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Paul, God really wanted to make sure that Paul doesn't get proud and like all up himself, right? But I never really stopped to think about what that pride would look like. And so when I looked into this word, it's like, why, why is it that this thorn, why is it that this messenger from Satan would stop Paul from becoming conceited? And so I started to look into the word conceited and I found something that, that, that seriously this week have, has been something that I've been really looking at and examining um, for my own life. See, the word in the Greek for conceited is the word, I'm not going to say it right, but it's hyper-error. Hyper-error. Um, that's, that's it in English. That's uh, in the English kind of transliteration. But the word error, uh, the root word, is to take up. Now, Jesus actually uses the word take up. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 39. Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Uh, and he, when he says, take up your cross. Mm. Taking up is not a bad thing. It's not a bad word. It, it, it literally is just that you, you carry this. So to be conceited is to hyper take up. It's to take up way more. To be conceited is to take up too much. God gave Paul a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan, to make sure that he did not take up more than he should. Hear that again. God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to make sure that he did not take up more than he should. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation of God, which probably made him feel pretty darn good about himself, God made sure that there was something in his life that reminded him of his weaknesses so that he would not take up more than he should. How many of us are actually extremely conceited? Because we take up more than we should. So I listened to this podcast and it was about a researcher. And he got a whole bunch of men and women together for this little experiment. It's kind of fun. 
uh, experiment there. I really enjoyed hearing about it. But basically, he broke it up into men and women. And then he got the men uh, to help the men understand what women go through. He says that women go through a beauty pageant every day. So like when Ben was talking about putting on foundation, it's like, I don't need foundation because I'm so beautiful all of myself. I don't need to build myself up because I'm so great. But women somehow feel the need to... Totally joking. But women go through a daily beauty pageant. And so he got the guys to do a beauty pageant. He got the guys to line up on stage and they had to do a one hour pageant where they were like, you know, judge, and you know, mainly based on their looks. And then, you know, there was a winner and all of that. And, um, and, and, and then they swapped over to do a judgment on the women, but the women were now judged based on what men are often judged on. And this is a really secular experiment based on secular thoughts about. Uh, uh, masculinity and femininity, and uh, and he got the women to line up based on their income. So who earned least, who earned the most, and that's what they did. And then from there, then they did a bit of a um, bachelor scenario, if you will, where the women were meant to were, were tasked with based on the looks alone chase after one, the male that they're most attracted to. So he made it a game where these women were meant to, based only on looks, chase after a guy and get the, uh, get the guy that they want to, uh, I guess, go on a date with, to choose to date them. A bit bachelor-like. And so these women were then choosing, of course, the guy who was like the number one... Um, the, the winner of the beauty pageant, he had like seven women hanging off him, trying to get him to go on a date. Um, and it was a really reverse kind of a situation. And, and finally, uh, the, it was down to like these last two women, and, and, and they finally kind of juked it out. And, and um, one of them won the thing, and, and, and so the researcher then asked the woman, what, how, how did that go for you? What was that all about? And she said, when it came time to actually securing the date, I found myself saying, even though I don't have these things, you really enjoy a ride in my Ferrari. <laughs> you really enjoy the holiday I've got planned for us in the Bahamas. You know, I've got all of these abilities to make your life happy. And this woman was like, when guys do that to me in the pub, I called them jerks. But I was doing that because I was so desperately wanting to win this, because that was the whole point of the scenario, that I reached for things that I did not have. And that is the definition of toxic masculinity, where men often reach for more than they have in order to try to look all attractive to women. And when I listened to that and I thought of a hyper-aero, I'm like, isn't that what we do all the time? Yeah, I've gone through some pain, but you know, I'm stronger because of it. Nothing else to do anymore. I've been through that. And what if the killer makes you stronger? You're like crying on the inside. It's like, I'll wrestle, I'll wrestle me now. We go for these things that make us think that we're not that broken. I, I listen to the language that is used nowadays, and the language of being triggered is, is kind of saying that these feelings are actually somewhat apart from me. 
I'm actually all good, but the trigger is out there. But really, what's being triggered are your emotions and your memories and the things that are on the inside and you're feeling weak, not because of the situation outside, but because pain has actually revealed that you are weak. That you are not able to carry this weight. And when I went through pain this week, I found myself wanting to be strong, but only finding how weak I really am on the inside. There were questions in my head when the situation broke, where I was like, I don't know if I'm good enough to be a pastor anymore. I don't know if I've got what it takes to carry on tomorrow. I don't know if I've got enough love in my heart to carry on and to do this work. Maybe I don't have the skills that I need. Maybe I don't have this. Maybe I don't have that. And I sat with that. And I was going, God, you need to show me that I'm strong. And God said, I'm not showing you that you're strong. That's not what this is about. But when I look at Paul's words, he says that when I realized my weakness and I was like, God, I begged with God three times to take it away. The whole point of three times is not that Paul literally prayed three times, but it talks about this completion, this sense of, of really wrestling with it. <coughs> Sorry, I really pushed myself there. And he pushed and he wanted to resolve this. He said, I don't want this. This is uncomfortable. And maybe he could have even said, God, this is stopping me from really fulfilling what you call me to do. This is too hard. And then what did God say? God didn't say, oh, Paul, do you know that you are stronger than you think? Oh, oh, no, no, no. I've created you so well that really nothing can hurt you. You've got this, buddy. Well, Paul didn't... Jesus didn't say to Paul, you've got this. Jesus said to Paul, I've got this. Yes, come on. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, I think that there is an inverted relationship with how strongly we think that we are going to be able to make it and how much God is able to work in our lives. The more we hyper-arrow our way through life, the less God is able to do in our lives. And pain is a gift because pain shows us you're not really that good. You're not. But God is good. And God wants to bring good into your life. And Paul got to this place where he realized it's better for me to boast in my weakness because then God's grace and his power is being made perfect in my life. So what does Paul say? He says, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. He was glad for his weaknesses. And then he goes on to say, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. I am content with my weakness. I'm content with the fact that I've been hurt and it sucks. I'm content with the fact that there are times where I really try my best, but things still don't, don't work out. I'm content with the fact that there are people in my life that I love that I still, I'm not going to be able to protect them. There are people in my life that I love that I'm not going to be able to save. 
There are things that God's called me to do, and sometimes the results won't look like what I think they're going to be because maybe I'm weak and I'm content with it. Maybe I'm good with it. What are you doing when you are faced with pain? Do you scramble quite often like I do to try to go, no, 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 it's not that bad. No, no, I can still do this. I've still got this. I'm not that broken. I'm not that weary. I'm not that this. What does it mean to strengthen myself in the Lord is not to get to a place of thinking I can do this. But it's getting to a place of saying, God, you've got to do this. When we think about that, we think that our response to pain is to sit down and just lie down and just like, it's over. It's over, people. It's over. That's what hopelessness, that's what weakness makes us think that we need to be doing. But that's not Paul's example. He was content with his weakness and yet he pressed on. Why? Because he realized that he shouldn't be taking on more than he should, but he should still take up his cross. None of us are called to take on more than what God is telling us to. And in a, in a season of great pain, don't shoot yourself to be stronger. If only I had this, if only I had that, I should be able to. Shut up. That's the enemy telling you that you are more than you really are. That's why pain is a gift. That's why pain is a gift. This week I received a gift. I received a gift that helped me to understand more about myself. I received a gift that helped me to see where my relationship with God was at. It helped me to perceive my weaknesses. And because I had this message that was stored up in my heart, I could see what I wanted to do to cover up and to defend myself. And I don't need to do that. And it's kind of strange, but being more vulnerable with God and with other people somehow has helped the healing go probably a lot quicker than I was expecting. Am I alright? I actually think that I kind of am. There are things that I'm still wrestling with. But I'm learning not to take on more than I should. There are too many people that tell me that I'm a perfectionist, I have a high standard for myself. Stop it. That's dumb. That is conceitedness. That's pride and that's arrogance. I'm not saying that you're a narcissist. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's that sense of, I need to, I need to take on, I need to take on. Stop it. Who said so? But if Christ is saying son of you, you better do it. (laughs) 
I need to provide for my family. Well, yeah, it makes sense. But how are you providing for your family? I need to be healed and whole, right? Doesn't mean you pretend. This is not a fake it till you make it kind of a life. But it's a sitting with and going, I've experienced this, I see where I'm at, and I'm content with it. Because Jesus' grace is sufficient for me. And His power is made perfect in my weakness. Here's a tension, guys. I cannot solve this. Are you then supposed to feel better? I think sometimes. But if you don't, does it mean that God's grace is insufficient? Maybe you need to sit with your weakness even more because God really wants to show more of His power. Because it's your weakness partnered with His strength that is everything. If I get stronger, then God can do more with my life. God can do whatever God wants to do. Just journey with Him. If He wants to take you to the third heavens and show you all kinds of crazy, mystical things, so be it. Just watch out for the storms that are going to come after. (laughs) How do we sit with that? Do I feel weak? Yes. And that's great. At the same time, do I feel driven, hopeful, strong in other ways? Yes. And that's great. And it's a great mystery how that interacts. Um, my time is up, and I don't know if I can explain any more to that. But if we can get the band up, what I wanted to do today, as we finish off, is to just give you space. Because too many of us gloss over our pain because it makes us feel extremely uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Some of us hate that we cry whenever something is mentioned. Some of us hate that there's still anger that is deeply held within our soul. And we go, no, I should be better. No, you should be where you are. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.